Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit about your uh, broadcasting career because I know for me, I just went down to uh, San Diego in December for the MLB winter meetings. Of course, like the whole approach of uh, filling out your resumes, you and like a thousand other people uh, trying to get internships for the summer. I know you went to the, uh, I think it was the minor league baseball winter meetings. You filled out the resume, but you took a little bit of a different approach. What was that setup like? Because I know in my case this past year, uh, just looking around, I don't remember seeing any of like the teams next door. You actually introduced yourself to like all the teams next door. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they did it there, but it, uh, mine was in uh, Nashville, and they basically just had two ballrooms next to each other, and one was designated as kind of a waiting area for job seekers, and the other was kind of the interview room where all the teams were set up. So it was really easy to just go in that room and find some teams that were not talking to anybody and just kind of uh, sit in with them while they were just kind of sitting there waiting for the next interview to start. Were you the uh, one of the only people in there? Because I remember, like, obviously everyone's filling out their resumes, putting it, like, in their certain places. I know there's, like, 1 through 26, 26 through 50. How many people were actually in that room with you actually introducing themselves? Well, I was, I, I don't know who was doing that, but, I mean, there were a lot of other people in there being interviewed at the time. Right. So, I mean, that was just where they were just kind of running through interviews throughout the day. Because they're, they're not just looking for broadcasters, and they're looking right. for all sorts of different staff members. So they were in there all day long, and, you know, they didn't... It wasn't straight through for most teams, so there was times when there were breaks, and you know the, the tables actually had their logo on it. It was like a little uh, laminated paper with their with their logo on it, so I knew which team I was going up to most of the time. Um, yeah, it seemed to work because it you know kind of set me apart from most people. Yeah, I'd say so. When uh, when did you know? Uh, at a young age, growing up in Illinois, when did you know that you uh, wanted to become a sports broadcaster, or at least involved in the sports media? Um, really, always. You know, I was I was a young kid at Chicago. Chicago was always uh, kind of glorified its broadcasters to some degree, not just the team announcers, but uh, even the local news and the local sports anchors. You know, they were all kind of on a different plane of celebrity than most cities I think because Chicago is so big but it didn't have celebrities living there like New York and LA did and so you know guys like Mark Greco and Floyd Calver and of course Harry Carey were were kind of looked at as you know these mythical feature creatures instead of uh, just regular broadcasters and I think that uh, that got my attention at a young age, and of course Harry and watching the Cubs, you know the way that he was every day just made it seem so fun. So uh, really, from the time I was very very young, I, I wanted to be a, a broadcaster of some sort. Did you grow up a Cubs fan? Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, in baseball in Chicago, there were there were two teams, right. and the National League and the American League were represented. So you know, I got to watch. 
the Cubs uh, on a daily basis playing day games. A lot of the time, still when I was a kid, they, they didn't have lights at Wrigley Field and until I was almost five years old. And then you know, the White Sox played all night games and played a whole different set of teams than I saw. So uh, it was great to, to watch both teams and, and to uh, see the whole the entirety of the major leagues that way. Wow. And what was your first ever broadcasting experience like? Was it uh, college ball, minor league ball? I know you were with the uh, Kane County Cougars at one point. Uh, yeah, the first time I ever did any kind of broadcasting was at uh, Arizona State. I did oh, wow. for a little over a year and I uh, worked on the college radio station there. And, uh, first game I ever broadcasted was, a, was an ASU baseball game. And they... As they typically were, they were loaded at the time. They didn't have refused to the head coach, and uh, they had Pedroia, and they had Andre Ethier, and they had Travis Buck, who uh, was a big star for them at the time. So they uh, they had some future big leaguers there, and, and guys who stood out immediately. And uh, it was it was fun to be around that team. And uh, growing up in broadcasting, and at a young age, I know myself in college. Like some of us, we make mistakes every now and then. Do you recall your, like, worst botch, like your worst mistake as a young broadcaster? Um, you know, as a play-by-play guy, you know, one one that stood out to me, and it's probably not one that even many people noticed, was in, I did the Sun Bowl, actually not that long ago, it was about four or five years ago, and it was uh, North Carolina against Stanford, and the quarterback for, for North Carolina was uh, Mitch Trubisky, who's now with the Bears, and, and the Stanford had Solomon Thomas, who came to the number two pick that the mm-hmm. 49ers took, and Trubisky was leading them back, and it was late in the game, and it looked like they were about to finish their comeback, and they were going for a two-point conversion to either tie or win the game, and Solomon Thomas got into the backfield so fast to sack Trubisky that it messed my whole call up, so it was a, it was a big point in the game, but he blazed through so quickly that it kind of took me by surprise. And um, the call probably didn't sound very, very crisp, but, um, you know, it was one moment. And, and you know, there's that, those, have, those happen. I mean, certainly you get, you get some things wrong. Um, you know, I remember calling a game on TV for the Big Ten Network where I had the wrong identification for a player who just had a fumble recovery for a touchdown. and. You know, I kind of slammed my hand on the desk, and you can even kind of hear it in the background of the call. Um, but, you know, this, you just shake it off and go to the next one. <laughs> Absolutely. You can't really correct yourself, at least not, like, after a few minutes or so. Um, what? So you obviously went over to SNY. What was the most fun part about doing those pre- and post-game shows on SNY before you actually uh, got to call games in the radio? And what was the atmosphere always like in the SNY studios as well? Because it seems like you guys had a blast there on TV. Yeah, well, I do pre- and post for Mets Radio, not, not for right. TV. So I did, um, you know, I was on WOR, and uh, it, was, you know, it was a great job. I mean, we are the minor leagues, and that's kind of the next step is to get a big league pre- and post-job, and hopefully it's one that has some play-by-play like that one did. You know, the Mets Radio uh, pre- and post had about, you know, I ended up doing about 25 games a year of play-by-play, and then eventually started filling in for Gary on TV as well. So, you know, I was kind of uh, able to, to work both ways and, and do as much as I could um, as far as play-by-play was concerned. 
So it was great. I mean, I, I got to talk to the manager every day, and I got to know Terry Collins a lot better because I was the one interviewing him every day. And, uh, you know, I'm forced to talk to the players and, and, and be able to build those relationships to try to get those interviews on a daily basis. So it was a fun job. It was uh, an interesting job, and you know, it was, I was glad to have that experience doing that. And, you know, it also left me some time during the game. So, you know, some of the fun that we had doing uh, – Rain Delay Theater with yeah. Steve Gelbs and, and some of the things that we were able to accomplish and uh, you know it's, it's always fun to have some people around that are that are around the same age as you and, and you know, kind of on the same wavelength as you and, and you know be able to uh, build those friendships that, that last uh, forever. Now when it comes to players you mentioned building those relationships how tough is it building those relationships at first because there's got to be guys that are a lot easier than others. Yeah, of course, you know, I, mean, I think some guys are, are just naturally easy to talk to and, and some guys aren't. And, you know, there's a, that doesn't make them any certain way. It's just, it's just everybody's different. So, uh, you know, you have to figure out ways to try to make it happen. And, and sometimes, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen. Sometimes it, it does stay where someone just is professional, but, um, you know, not necessarily friendly. So, um, you know, you just got to work around it and, and try to get as many people uh, to to talk to you and, and to be as friendly to you as possible. It's, it's not the easiest thing when that's not your nature to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's mine. Um, but, you know, you, you try to make the best of it. And, and you know, it's, most people are willing to talk and, and understand that's part of the job. And, um, you know, you get to know some of the players on, on the best, but also on, on some of the other teams as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's 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 fun to be around these guys on a, on a regular basis and, and learn more about the game. I mean, I got pulled into a conversation once with, with Max Scherzer and just to hear his thought process is, is really special because he's a different kind of guy when it comes to preparing. Who would you say, you mentioned Max Scherzer, who would you say is the most interesting guy you've ever interviewed? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're all interesting. And a lot of times it's the older guys with the really good stories. Right. You can sit and talk to Tim McCarver forever. You know, he's just that kind of guy. Once you get him rolling and, and get him going into storytelling and hear 60 years of baseball come out of his mouth, it's, it's incredible. You know, Bob Huger's the same way. Um, so, you know, a lot of times it's it's those guys who've been around for so long who have a lot to say and, and want to, and aren't in the clubhouse anymore, but want to still tell their stories that, that end up being, uh, you know, just as interesting as the players currently. And you mentioned those uh, broadcasters with experience, the Tim McCarvers. Howie Rose, obviously, with the Mets for 20, I think this is his 25th year in radio. How much of a help was he in the booth last year? He's been a help to me since I started there in, in, in 2015. You know, I, I I had Howie's old job. You know, Howie yeah. was the pre- and post-game show host dating back to 1987 on Mets Radio. And uh, he's the one who had to do the interviews and talk to the manager every day. It was That that used to be his job. So, um you know, if I ever ran into a, a, a problem or if I ever thought my interviews were getting stale or whatever whatever the case may be, you know, I always asked Howie for his opinion. And uh, he always gave a very thoughtful and, and detailed answer. And I always thought that made me a better announcer, a better interviewer. Uh, every time I had a conversation with Howie, and then when I would fill in and play by play, I, I'd ask him for tips, and he wasn't shy about uh, giving him that. I, I always tell the story about when I was doing TV for Gary and I made a 10 minute clip and, and wanted to get some feedback and I sent it to Howie and literally 
10 minutes later, he called me back with a bunch of feedback. He watched the whole thing as soon as I sent it to him and, and gave me his thoughts. I mean, he's been uh, an incredible mentor and, and I'm extremely fortunate that, that now it's, this is my second year of him being my partner. And you mentioned those few games on SNY. What's a, what was it like working with uh, Ron and Keith taking over for Gary for those few games? It, it's, it's, it's an intimidating <laughs> yeah. situation because it's, you know, that's that's the best TV booth in baseball. Everybody knows it. Um, you know, it's, and it's not just Gary. I mean, Gary stirs the drink, and he's one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. But there's Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling, who are two uh, hugely, you know, loved personalities in New York, two all-time great Mets, and, you know, being someone who's still relatively young in this and relatively new to the Mets, um, you know, it was it was intimidating to be in, to be thinking of going into the booth and doing those games. What I found when I got in there is how incredible those two guys are to work with. I mean, Keith and Ron are great, and they're great analysts. They are terrific at what they do. They see the game in a very unique way. Uh, you know, Ron is is unbelievable at what he can pick out, and Keith is too. But Keith also is just so funny and so easy to work. Right. And on top of that, the first game I ever did on SNY was with the two of them together. And my plan was, you know, I'll just call the plays and let them tell stories and talk to each other. But really, they waited for me. They, they gave me my room to, to fill what I needed to do and to lead them into discussions. They didn't just launch into stuff. They didn't just make me invisible. They let me lead in the same way they let Gary lead. And I was blown away by that and you know, every time I work with them it's it's fantastic now obviously spring training much different than the regular season when it comes to spring training the, the pace of play uh, given that especially this time of year late February early March players like you're starting your typical starting nine are only playing three possibly four innings uh, how uh, difficult is it getting through those uh, final six innings? Obviously, there's a lot of great prospects in the Mets organization, but come like the eighth and ninth inning, you're seeing the, the likes of, uh, you know, guys who probably may never make it to the major leagues. Yeah, it can be challenging. I mean, you know, spring training is, is a good exercise for the players, certainly, and, and to get ready for the season. And we may not mean, need as many broadcasts as we do, but it's, it's always fun to watch uh, – a professional baseball game being played yeah. it's the major leagues the minor leagues and um you know we don't take that for granted at all and i think that you know it's uh, it's good to see some of the younger players and, and get familiar in some ways with some of the minor leaguers certainly for us tim tim tebow has made it yeah, interesting yeah. in some of those games because there's such an attraction to tebow and you know there's there's kind of this buzz every time he bats hoping that he that he it launches one and he really hasn't in any of the spring training games we've had so far but you know if he if he does that's going to be uh, something that is going to be seen everywhere so um, yeah that, that kind of adds a, a little wrinkle to it but uh, you know you, you learn their names and try to tell some of their stories too and uh, you know it ends up being kind of the same thing as as when the regular guys are in there and, and they'll start to poke their way through a little bit more as the spring goes along. And you mentioned Tim Tebow. I think, I think his numbers have been quite exceptional down in the minor leagues. Could you see him at any point over the next few seasons, possibly even in 2020, making like a September call-up appearance for the Mets? No, especially now that they changed the rules. I mean, he really right. have to have a great year in the minor leagues. Last year, you know, he struggled badly at AAA, 
um, dealt with some injuries. You know, he's getting older. He's going to be 33 this year. Right. You know, before when the 40-man roster was allowed to be in totality in the major leagues, you know, there was still that sliver of, of a possibility that he would make it if the team was out of contention. You know, maybe they'd throw him on the 40-man if they had a spot and let him debut. Um, but now with only two extra roster spots in September, those are extremely valuable, especially to a team that is going to be in contention as the Mets assume they are. Um, so I, I highly doubt it at this point. I mean, I, I think it would take the Mets being in a situation where they're around 90 to 100 losses for that to even be entertained. And I, it would be it's, it's, it's extremely difficult to foresee the Mets ending up in that situation for this year. Right, absolutely. And obviously broadcasting for the Mets, you're in your second year on radio. Obviously podcasting, of course, has transcended as one of the top outlets when it comes to media, at least sports media as well. And you talked about it uh, a little bit earlier. What was the inspiration behind the Rain Delay Theater? Well, yeah, we were just bored, you know. <laughs> it was uh, Rain Delays. You know, they're frequent playing in the Northeast and, and going to Atlanta where it seems to rain every day. Um, so we were just, uh, Steve and I were just kind of sitting there and, and bored a bit. And he's got a good social media following. So we just popped on Instagram during a rain delay and just kind of fooled around. And people seemed to, to enjoy it. And, you know, we, we turned it into a podcast that, uh, you know, people again seem to really like and, and you know, the, having the interviews with some of the figures of Mets history and some of the current Mets has, has been great, getting to know those guys on a, on a different basis than, than what you normally see. So, uh, you know, we've enjoyed doing it, and I'm, I'm sure we'll do it in, in some capacity again this year. Who would you say was your favorite guest last year? Um, you know, having, I think Pete really opened our eyes with some of the things he said about being in college and, and his professor, you know, when he wrote about how he wanted to be a major league baseball player and his professor really kind of poo-pooed that whole idea. Yeah, yeah. Gave him a, a bad grade because it was uh, not a realistic goal, which, you know, I, I can, you know, it's not a very nice thing to do. I could see where, you know, a sixth grade teacher might say that to a kid, but a professor at the University of Florida, you know, there's there were five big, big leaguers on that team alone. Yeah. I'm not sure where what, what that professor where that professor was coming from because that that's a that's a school that pops out big leaguers almost with some kind of regularity. Um, not to mention that it's just a terrible thing I think to tell a student oh, yeah. who, whether it's baseball or anything else uh, because I think that the people who chase their dreams are the, the ones that end up getting the closest to them. So um, you know, I hope everybody learned a lesson from from listening to Pete discuss that because uh, I think that in the, the, there will be a lot more people uh, reaching their goals if they just try. Yeah, I mean, a little misinformed maybe that teacher, maybe some bad experiences. Like you mentioned, a lot of talent coming out of there. Uh, who would you say, just to put you on the spot here, who, who would be your top three guests that you'd like to have on the podcast moving forward? Well, we haven't had Jacob DeGrom yet. You know, Jacob doesn't doesn't love doing interviews. Yeah. He's, he's someone who... Uh, you know, is 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 you know he, he likes to keep to himself a little bit more than others. Uh, when you do interview Jacob, he's great at it. You know, he's, he's a really engaging, thoughtful person. Um, but he doesn't like to put himself out there in that way. He's very focused on what he has to do. Uh, but you know, it'd be, it'd be great to have him on. You know, David Wright's not around as much, and never really was around that much when Steve and I started. 
Uh, and we both started in 2015, and that's really when David's biggest issues started creeping up, and he was rehabbing a lot. So, you know, we know him a little bit, but we don't have nearly the relationship we do with someone like Michael Conforto, who's been yeah. also since 2015 and plays every day. And, um, you know, we, we see Michael all the day, and we see him every day, and we just never really saw David that much. So, um, you know, David's great to be around, and we love seeing him when he's there. But uh, he's not—he's he, not someone who's been around that much. So we'd like to—we'd like to have him on, of course. And uh, oh, I'm sure there's—you know—I'd like to have Daryl Strawberry on. I feel like we've had yeah. every Mets legend except for Strawberry, and I think Piazza hasn't really been on. So, uh, you know, Mike, I, I feel like I know Mike already, and I don't—I don't need to have Mike on because Mike and I MC a lot of Italian American events together, and. Um, you know, it seems like I'm always around Piazza, but Strawberry, uh, you know, when I was a kid, Daryl Strawberry was uh, just kind of a, a unicorn figure to me. Yeah. He was such an incredible athlete and, uh, you know, a cut killer as a kid and, and all that. So it's, it would be uh, pretty fun to interview Strawberry. What? So obviously being in sports media at a very young age, have you – so – when it comes to the interviewing process, you've obviously interviewed a lot of people. Have you ever had a big guest scheduled and then it fell through? Like one that like really was like, oh man, I really wish we had the chance to do that. Yeah, I mean those those things happen you know, all the time. Right. But, uh, you know, I think that yeah, I've been, I have been fortunate to interview some some big names. I remember when I was in the minor leagues in Alabama, they had a big opening for the Hank Aaron Childhood Home Museum in Mobile. Hank Aaron was from Mobile and the, the, the team down there wanted to move his childhood home to the grounds of the stadium and turn it into a museum, uh, which they did. And on opening night of that museum, not only was Hank there, but you know, half the baseball Hall of Fame was there. Wow. Uh, Willie Mays was there, Ricky Henderson and Ozzie Smith and Bob Feller. I, believe, I think it was Bob Feller's last public appearance, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, one name after the other was there, and it was uh, I was fortunate to interview a lot of them. Ricky Jackson was there, um, so that was a night I'll never forget. Just being able to, to be around those those baseball icons and, and interviewing them, most of them. Now going into this year, obviously, I, I would say yeah, like October, November it was looking like Carlos Beltran was obviously going to be the manager going into this season. Would you have loved to have a chance to interview him? Yeah, I'd be great to be around Carlos. Yeah and to, uh, you know, learn the game from him and, and the guy who's played it at such a Hall of Fame level, really, and I don't know if he'll get punished for what he did and right. in by the Hall of Fame voters, but, you know, he he had a Hall of Fame-worthy career, certainly, and, uh, you know, it would have been, been great to, to hear his thoughts on a daily basis play out, but I do think the Mets ended up... Um, landing in a spot you know maybe not by by the way they planned it but you know the way that it turned out ending up with a guy who's going to be a really good manager in the major leagues and Luis Rojas and you know not, not any different than 2015 when you know the Mets tried to trade for Carlos Gomez and couldn't uh, that fell through you know they almost had a deal with Jay Bruce that fell through and they ended up getting Cespedes who took them to the World Series yeah you know it's you never know how these things work out but I think that that's landed in, in a wonderful spot with Louis. And do you believe that the Mets had absolutely no choice in parting with Carlos after the scandal broke loose, given how it came out that he was almost like the kingpin of the entire situation? Yeah, once it, once the, 
details started to come out, it, it, they did the they absolutely did the right thing. It it would have been difficult to justify having Carlos still in the camp and and being around players that you know they they cheated against. I mean, yeah. there's video of Marcus Stroman pitching to Beltron while the trash can's being banged. I mean, Stroman's on the bats. So yeah, I know. It's just been an impossible situation. I think they they really didn't have much of a choice. Do you think, obviously, the Red Sox investigation was supposed to come out multiple weeks ago. Do you think anything bad, like anything, like obviously I don't think it's going to end up being as ruthless as the Houston Astros situation, but do you think the Boston Red Sox are in any harm moving forward? Uh, yeah, we won't know until it's over, but from whatever's leaked out or been kind of rumored to this point, it seems like it's not, not as uh, indicative of what Houston was doing, um, you know, which may save Alex Cora a little bit, but uh, he'll still get uh, you know he'll still get the, the big suspension. Yeah. At least the same as what the uh, AJ Hinch and Jeff Luno got, if, if not longer. So if you know if there was anything in Boston to that degree, you know, I, I was there is the possibility certainly that Alex could be you know kicked out of baseball entirely. Certainly that has happened recently to the to the Braves GM John Capoelli yeah. picked out for forever. So it's uh, it's it's certainly some precedent for it, but I, I think Alex will uh, you know have a minimal suspension with regard to that. Now given that AJ Hinch got one year and quite frankly didn't uh, like what was going on. Obviously he didn't stop what was going on, so that's why he got in trouble. But Alex Cora, him and Beltron being kind of the leaders behind it and Cora being the coach for that team and then being the manager for the World Series Championship with Boston in 2018, do you think it's going to be at least more than one year for Alex Cora? It could be. You know, it just, it just depends. You know, he was not in a managerial role, but he certainly was as a bench coach, somebody that um, you know, had the players' ears and should have been uh, more responsible in that way. And you know, again, we'll see what, what the Red Sox situation leads to, seeing as he was the manager there. But uh, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be a stiff penalty regardless. All right, I got two more questions for you. The first one, again, putting you on the spot here, it was your first year uh, as a radio play by play for the Mets. What was your favorite uh, call for the Mets last year in 2019 in 162 games? Yeah, that was you know, a couple really do stand out. You know, even though it's a long season and, and there are many good moments. You know, the the way that they played in the second half last year. Uh, you know, I I don't typically do the ninth inning, but it was uh, a night where they went into extra innings and Howie and I kind of switch off. So I did the tenth. And, you know, the Mets had a dramatic win against Cleveland. J.D. Davis had a walk-off hit off of Brad Hand and a uh, pretty memorable moment. And I was able to call that one. Um, and then I got to call a bunch of Pete Alonzo's, you know, home runs, oh, yeah. obviously. But I, I got number 53, the record breaker over Aaron Judge. And, you know, the, the all-time rookie home run record being set. And, um, you know, it was, it was it was a great call, and it was great to be on that moment. It was, it was a historic moment in baseball history, let alone for the Mets. And, you know, just fortunate to be able to do that. And, you know, I was also fortunate that I got to call his 42nd home run, which broke the Mets record. Yeah. Because, you know, that was kind of a big moment, too. And, obviously, no Mets had hit that many home runs in the season. And Howie, you know, he gave me a little advice about how to call those historic home runs, maybe just a, a little bit better with a little more detail. And fortunately, you know, that advice 
I didn't have to didn't have to wait very long for the next historic home run to call. It was only you know a few weeks later when Pete broke that record. So right. um, you know I was able to take what, what Howie had said a, a few weeks before that and, and use it for that call. I think it was a, a much more uh, complete call. Now, when when you said uh, you guys go back and forth, how does that work with Howie in the booth? You guys going back and forth? Is it every other inning? You get first three, he gets next three, something like that? Yeah, I do the third, the fourth, and the seventh, and then I we, I do the even extra innings, and he does the odd. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, he, uh, he'll he'll do you know the beginning and the ends of the games that he's there, and then when he's not there, I'll do I'll do his innings, and whoever's filling in will do mine. Interesting. Okay, so one last question before I let you go. Moving forward in your career, I know you got a great gig right now with the Mets. What What do you think is the tip of the iceberg? What's the ultimate goal for Wayne Randazzo when it comes to sports broadcasting? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've called I've called so much uh, already, and I've, I've had so many. You know, uh, you know, I work a lot for Fox doing college basketball, yeah. Ten Network. And, you know, those are great gigs, and I've done a lot of football on the radio i've called some big upsets or some big nfl games and um you know i i am still pretty young in this business you know i'm only in my 30s and, and still have a lot left to accomplish just uh just want to keep pushing forward you know just want to keep evolving as an announcer keep getting better and you know if better gigs come along uh that's great certainly as far as baseball goes i'm i've been to a spot that you know i hope i i never really leave you know yeah. being with the mets they've been great to me since day one uh new york's the number one market in the country it's uh, a passionate fan base so you know there's really no reason to ever uh want to leave the mets you know as far as some of the national stuff i do yeah i, mean, I like to keep evolving as far as that stuff goes but uh you know, for baseball, I think I'm uh, in a great spot and hope to be there for as long as I can. I am so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's probably going to break up with you. He's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.